Hosea 8, verses 1 through 7. Put the trumpet to your lips. Whoops. Phone went off. Um, like an eagle, the enemy comes against the house of the Lord, because they have violated my covenant and rebelled against my law. They cry out to me, My God, we of Israel know you. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have appointed officials, but I did not know it. With their silver and gold, they have made idols for themselves, so that they will be eliminated. He has rejected your calf, Samaria, saying, My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For from Israel comes even this. A craftsman made it, so it is not God. Assuredly, the calf of Samaria will be broken to pieces. For they sow the wind, and they harvest the storm. The standing grain has no kernels. It yields no grain. If it were to yield, strangers would swallow it. This Memorial Day, I am forever grateful for those who have sacrificed that we could enjoy our freedoms. On the screen, you see a picture of Earl Dusky. He was my uncle, whom I never met. My mother's brother, who died on October 8th. 1944. He was killed in action during World War II in France. He made the ultimate sacrifice so that we could enjoy our freedoms, be citizens of the United States. Imagine if this happened. Imagine that Janet and I were going to have all of my mother's family over for dinner. And on the wall in our living room, I had a large picture of Adolf Hitler. And below the picture was a bowl to give a donation for a statue that I had erected in my yard for Adolf Hitler. I talked about the great benefits that the statue gave to our family, Adolf Hitler. What did you think my mother's family would do? They were from West Virginia. They would knock me into tomorrow if I ever thought of doing such a stupid thing. It seems unimaginable that somebody would do that. I want you to kind of get this visceral reaction of what that might be. And then understand that's not even a fraction of what God feels when we mess around with our idols. It could be materialism could be self-reliance. It could be some other God. But idol worship is especially egregious to God because it spurns all the works of grace. This is how it was with Israel. God had been so good to Israel through the years. And it's as if he didn't even exist now. They, they said the name, but in their daily lives. They did not acknowledge the sacrifices that he had made so that they could have a relationship with him. They had spurned their relationship. Israel has sought artificial devotion, religious devotion, artificial political protection and going after other countries to protect them and denied God playing that part in their lives. It was a willful violation of this relationship that God had invited Israel to be a part of. So it was especially egregious. Verse 2 says, Set the trumpet 
to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Not just some capricious thing, but an objective moral law that's set down in the Old Testament, the moral law. I'm not talking about the ceremonial law, the sacrificial practices that, were, that Israel was called to keep, the moral law that God has set down. There was a trumpet that sounded. The trumpet was a way to announce to Israel, judgment is coming. There is somebody at your door that's going to mean trouble for you. They're going to be judged. A bird, a vulture, an eagle, some kind of flying object would bring judgment upon Israel. It, it spoke of the swiftness by which God would bring this judgment. In this case, the bird was Assyria. Those who Israel wanted to cozy up to, to think it would provide them with protection, would in fact turn, and this would be a way for God to try to get the attention of Israel. God was going to keep his word because Israel had clearly and deliberately broken the covenant that God had made with them. So the covenant of the law God had made to be a witness to other countries. And God was going to bless Israel for keeping the law, and he clearly communicated there would be consequences for rejecting the law. Just take the Ten Commandments, for, indis, uh, for instance. They disregarded the Ten Commandments clearly about not having another idol that they did. They transgressed. It means to cross a line deliberately. They rebelled. It means they renounced their former allegiance. They made this covenant, promise, commitment with God. They completely disregarded it. And now we're worshiping the idol Baal. You were once committed to sexual purity, and now you're trafficking with temple prostitutes. This was not a sin of ignorance. This was willful insurrection. To me they cry, my God, we Israel know you. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy has pursued them. They cry out to God like they are worshiping him, like they have this close relationship with him. All the while, they have spurned him. I remember a friend 30-some years ago who told me how much he loved God while he was cavorting with two or three different ladies that were not his wife. And he said, I still love God. And I remember looking at him and saying, how does that match with this? We're so prone to just believe somebody's words. Are we not? All a politician has to do in America is just say the name of God. And we're like, oh, we love him. Never mind that they don't live it. They don't show it. We think they're a card-carrying disciple of Jesus just because they mentioned the name. We have to be more discerning. They are facing judgment, Israel was. They look like survivors on a capsized boat, shouting and 
waving wildly in the water, and all they're doing is attracting sharks. Israel is shouting for help. And since judgment has been decreed, Assyria is going to pursue them. The nation of Israel spurned the captivity of other nations, but this was used by God to hopefully get Israel's attention. See, maybe you're in a bad marriage. Did you ever think that maybe this relationship stuff is going on to get your attention, not just your spouse's? Maybe you didn't get the promotion at work. Maybe there's some kind of problem you have with a friend. There's a myriad of things that are going on that can go on in our lives, and we think if God would only fix that circumstance, get rid of that person, do whatever is needed to make the situation better, and all the while God is saying, uh, excuse me, have you ever thought about what I'm wanting to do in your own heart here? The humility that needs to take place here, that you could be receptive to the message that I want to give you? They had spurned, Israel did, the objective standards of God, moral standards of God. They spurned his nature. And now they're trying to claim that God is their buddy and protector. It was rampant hypocrisy. It was religious practice for show and tell. They claimed a relationship that they didn't have. I read recently the fact that people prefer a handwritten note over an email. That's not news. We all like personal notes, personal messages. You see the other person's handwriting. You get the idea that this person really cares and is being personal. You know, they touch the stamp, the envelope, and send it to the mailbox. They had to do some work to do that. Well, you know, now if you'd like to send a handwritten letter but you don't have the time or the energy to do it, there are online services that will do it for you. All you need is to log in to Handy Written. Type in what you'd like to say, choose your preferred script, and a handwriting robot will write out the words for you and send the letter to your loved one. For an extra fee, they can even mimic your own handwriting style pay a little extra, you can include a smudge or ink blot to give that letter a more authentic touch. You laugh, and yet I know of churches. I've known men who've worked for the churches who would deliberately have a, up on the stage, some kind of problem or mistake to make it look like they were being really authentic and real. That's just working too hard to be real, all right? It's crazy. One customer said it's the same whether a robot writes it or I do. What matters is that I was thinking of them. Others call it fake authenticity. Yale professor Ellen Spitz says, it seems like a complete betrayal. Handwritten notes are special precisely because they're intimate, because a part of the body is touching the paper, creating a personal connection. Listen, whether you're okay with a robot writing a letter or not, let me tell you this. It doesn't get more personal than God being intimate with us through the incarnation. When God decided to reveal the fullness of his love, 
in humility for humanity, he sent his son in flesh and blood. And in this digital age, it might be good to remember the power of the personal in our communication. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. Israel appointed leaders without consulting God. He did not initiate their choices. He was not involved in their process. God had made clear how he wanted this done when they chose leaders. Now, yes, it was a theocracy. I get that. But listen to Deuteronomy 17. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers and you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Later on in the chapter it says, and when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of his law approved by the Levitical priests and it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of his law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom he and his children in Israel. God should have been the one to initiate the choice. But Israel had taken the process from him. And the result is that they were choosing the worst kind of leaders. Leader after leader was being assassinated. Why? Competing political groups. And the northern kingdom was marked by chaos. Does that ring a bell? about politics not only was the political system corrupt but so was the religious system Israel had made idols for themselves in direct violation of Exodus 24 that said you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth God had lavished them with all kinds of precious metals and they used it to create an idol made with hands. Jeroboam I, the son of Nebat, broke away from Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and set up rival sanctuaries in Jerusalem at Bethel and Dan. In each one, he placed a golden calf. And these, along with the shrines, were on the high places, they called them. Became a continued source of idolatry. So as a result, I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel a craftsman made, made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. Let's talk about Samaria for a second. Terza was the first capital of the northern kingdom, which was followed later by Samaria. It was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. So that's why Israel is referred to as Samaria. But God is making clear that this idol of a calf is being rejected and his response is one of anger because 
of their willing disobedience. Later on in the book of Hosea, we read in chapter 10, verse 5, the inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Beth Haven. That's a calf idol, probably that Jeroboam had set up. This was the official shrine sponsored by the throne right up to the end of Israel. Know that the image itself was regarded as a god, not just a mere representation. A young bull was to convey power and fertility. These calves were fashioned by man to take the place of Yahweh. And the people had rationalized that they were still honoring God. Their worship at his shrine, though, that the shrine of Baal was going to be rejected and was rejected by God. The word for spurned means to be putrid, smell bad, rancid. Their idols stunk to high heaven. Sins are often covered up by claims of pure motives, like someone cheating on their spouse, saying, I still love my spouse. Oh, I bet you they're not going to buy that line, that they still feel loved, right? It's going to fall flat. Israel's claim that they love God while they traffic in known unrepentant idolatry was something that God was not going to tolerate. It's saying, hey, your words are to match your actions. It's a constant theme through this. And God was justly angered because Israel worshipped a product of their own hands rather than worshipping the God who made their hands. Nothing made by man is God. And these idols are going to be destroyed and broken to pieces. Again, I want to be quick to add, it's, it's easy to wag our finger and say those terrible Baal-worshipping people, but we have our own idols today as we put our trust in other things, whether it's materialism, popularity, whatever it is. But these things are useless when we actually need them. I like what Chuck Bentley said. I'm going to read this. It says there's a, a name for God that we seldom ever use. I know I don't use it very often. That name is Jealous. Sounds strange, doesn't it? When we call someone jealous, it usually, it's usually to point out a character flaw. How can something we consider bad be attributed to God, especially one of his names? Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God, Exodus 34:14. Back in the 1960s, there was a popular TV western called The Guns of Will Sonnet. Walter Brennan played the title role, a scripture-quoting man with a reputation for unparalleled gunfighting skills. As the series progresses, viewers saw the wise old man avoid more gunfights than he got into with the simple, truthful statement about his abilities, no brag, just fact. God has the title of jealous because he's the only one worthy all of our affection and adoration. No brag, just fact. The complete worthiness of ultimate praise 
grants him and him alone the right to be the jealous one. He's God Almighty. He's at the top of all kings, all lords, all gods, and all things. So jealousy is normative if you're God. End quote. For they saw the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads, it shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Now, wind can have multiple meanings in the Bible. We often see the wind associated with the Spirit of God. Those are positive, but we know the meaning of a word when we look at the context at which it's given. So there can be one word given multiple meanings in the Bible depending on the context. And in this case, the context is negative. It was like Israel had planted empty wind symbolizing their moral bankruptcy. And they would reap a whirlwind, a nod to coming judgment. All her efforts directed towards self-preservation would be destructive. They would be swept away by the judgment of God and any benefits that they desired would fall to the hands of strangers, namely Assyria. Foreigners that they looked to for power instead would be used by God against them. Grain that they planted would not be harvested. And even if there were any, the Assyrians would get it. They'd eventually take them over. The idea is that there'd be no lasting prosperity. God is putting a focus upon their religious and political ideology that was all about human power and ingenuity. They forgot God. They would not have the prosperity that they were seeking. When we acknowledge God and his work, we usually are grateful. When we are self-reliant, well, and something good happens, we usually gloat. In an interview, David Brooks, author of The Road to Character, observed this, I quote, The day after Japan surrendered in 1945 and World War II ended, singer Ben Crosby appeared on the radio program Command Performance. Well, it looks like this is it, he said. What can you say at a time like this? You can't throw your skimmer in the air. That's for a run-of-the-mill holiday. I guess all anybody can do is thank God it's over. I was really struck at this supreme moment of American triumph that they weren't beating their chests. They weren't super proud of themselves. They were deeply humble. And I found that so beautiful and so moving. And I thought that there's, that's really something to admire in that public culture. Shortly after studying about what happened after World War II, Brooks watched a pro football game. He observed something very different. A quarterback threw a short pass to a wide receiver who was tackled almost immediately for a two-yard gain. The defensive player did what all professional athletes do these days in moments of personal accomplishment. He did a self-puffing victory dance as the camera lingered. It occurred to me that I had just watched more self-celebration after a two-yard gain than I had heard from the United States that won World War II. 
There's another, another kind of pride that relates to our relationship with God. It forgets grace and our need to depend upon Christ, and it takes pride in itself. Consider during an interview before his 50th college reunion, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg confessed that his mort- mortality has started dawning on him at 72, and he said that he's been sobered by how many of his former classmates have, have passed away. But the author of the interview concluded, but if Bloomberg senses that he may not have as much time left as he would like, he has little doubt about what would await him at the judgment day. Pointing at his work on gun safety, obesity, and smoke cessation, he said with a grin, I am telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I am heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. End quote. Well, Bloomberg is correct. It's not even close. And our pride is our greatest sin. Now listen, I'm not just jumping on Bloomberg's case, but all of us have a sense of pride that creeps in. But in this case, it's pretty grandiose when you think, I'm going to earn my way to heaven. There are many people like that. That's a self-reliance. That is just like Israel. It's not even close. I think when we learn to practice that God is the one providing for us, there is a gratefulness. Sometimes I've done this, and I would recommend if you've never tried this, Try doing it when you're down in the dumps. You feel discouraged about something. Maybe you didn't get what you wanted. Could be a myriad of things, things that you prayed for haven't come to pass. Take a piece of paper and start writing down reasons why you are thankful to God. Reasons that God has been good to you, shown you his love. Just start writing them down. And by the time you get to about 13 or 14, you see your attitude beginning to shift. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, God may have not given me what I wanted in this situation, but he's been an awfully good God. And I think he gives us a reminder of how good he is to us by having the practice of communion, reminding us of the sacrifice of Christ to remind us to be grateful, not independent, self-dependent, self-reliant, but that we need the grace of God in our life. That's what stops me many times, and not all the time, because I know I can be a jerk just like anybody else. But to judge other people, call out certain sins, but then I realize my own life, my own struggles. There are things that God calls sin. I don't, I'm not saying he doesn't. But I want my attitude to be one of humility towards my brothers and sisters. Even if I see egregious acts, and I know that people are victim of the enemy, they're not my enemy. But the point is, is that I can be grateful for what God has done in my life, in saving me, and what he's done in our family, and what he continues to do. 
Communion reminds me of what all of that is based on. I'd like for us to bow our heads right now.